1: Are a visionary you have a vision you just need to create it and bring it to life welcome to visionary leader extraordinary life with your host kate ebner our program will be an hour of inspiration for leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want now here's your host kate ebner
2: good morning and welcome to visionary leader extraordinary life This is Kate Ebner, and each week our show brings you inspiring stories of visionary leadership and perspective on how to bring that vision into your own life. We'll help you change your life, your organization, and the world, so stay tuned. Today, we're going to focus on how your past is shaping your future, Up until now is our topic, and we have our guest, Dr. Neil Struhl, founding faculty member of the Georgetown University Leadership Coaching Program and managing director of Kenning Leadership at Kenning Associates here in Washington, D.C. Welcome to our show this morning, Neil.
3: Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
2: Well, great. You know, whether you realize it or not, the way you're thinking about and telling your own life story is having an enormous impact on your future possibilities. This is something that I learned myself when I went to the Georgetown Leadership Coaching Program almost 10 years ago, and actually it was you, Dr. Struhl, who presented this perspective to me. I'd love it if you could start off this morning by telling us a little bit about this idea that our story can actually shape the way we're experiencing our lives and even what's possible for us in the future.
3: There's a lot of different ways that we can talk about this idea, uh, but let's start with the, with the basic premise of even what is a story. So at the simplest level, uh, a story is nothing more than an explanation. Uh, what we are all noticing all the time is different effects around us and then we have to come up with an explanation, a story, to account for the effects that we notice. So if, for example, um, you know, you're waiting for your spouse or partner to arrive for dinner and they're not on time, and you say to yourself, why are they late? Right? You're going to make up a story about it. You may find that your story later needs to be corrected, but in the moment you'll come up with a story. And we're coming up with stories all the time for all sorts of different things. Uh, Why did my proposal get rejected? Where did I leave my car keys? Anything um, at all. Um, And and the idea of of the story, it's it's just a vehicle that each one of us employs uh, in order to make sense. What happens for each of us is um this thing that uh we did talk about at Georgetown, it, it, we call it the ladder of inference. And that means as your as your stories accumulate over time, um and you have your your variety of experiences, that you will be predisposed to exp- to interpret or make sense of your experiences more one way than another. And we, we also call that structural determinism. Um so that's the idea that um if you can't see your own apparatus for how you organize your stories, if you don't understand your predispositions, then at the very least, you're at risk uh, for composing stories that create a future that resembles your past.
2: Wow. So what you're really telling us um, is that we have a habitual, kind of a habitual way of seeing the world. And when we see the world that way and interpret it through the story that we're uh, in a habit of telling ourselves about the way the world works, um, that, that that's... Kind of the way we are experiencing our life. It's the way we're making meaning and it also has some limitations. Is yeah, that correct? It
3: absolutely has some limitations. Um, again, you know, most of us uh, aren't necessarily going to slow ourselves down, pause, uh, and be reflective and try and be somewhat analytical and reflective and say, so. What was I thinking? What was going on for me in the moment such that I was predisposed to interpret my experience this way rather than some other way? Um, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, the data is the data, the raw experience that's external to us. Uh, but the interpretation of that data, um, that's very personal and that's very subjective. And, and as I said a moment ago, um, over the course of our lifespan, uh, we come predisposed um, to interpret more one way than another. Um, you know, and, and since our, our basic premise in our conversation um, this morning is around being visionary and, and visualizing a, a future, Um, The risk is that if we allow ourselves to be held hostage by our past, then we are at risk for, as I said a moment ago, creating a future that resembles the past. That's great. If you really do believe that your uh, life is unfolding in such a way that, you know, if you remember from the, the play Candide by Voltaire and there was Dr. Pangloss who said that we live in the best of all possible worlds well if for you in your life is the best of all possible worlds then that's fine but I think the vast majority of us have a sense that at least in some respects we we would want our life to be somewhat different than it is but what we are unable to see is how we in essence keep recreating the the the, our own past and therefore bringing it into the future.
2: Huh. So we're stuck in our story, if you will, and 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 have the potential to to sort of see with new eyes, is what I think you're also implying. You know, I think about this, and I think that each day we're living our own lives. Certainly, I experience this. Um, we go through our day. We, as you said, we kind of come home and we look, reflect on the day, perhaps, and we. Um, we make meaning of what happened to us, um, in effect building this story uh, about who we are, what's happening in the world, and how it all hangs together. Um, I remember when we were um, at Georgetown when I was a student there 10 years ago, I've heard you talk about this many times since in the cohorts that have come, the many cohorts that have come to Georgetown over the past 10 years, uh, we really are the hero of our own story. Um, And when I first heard this, I was struck by it. I don't know that I was really thinking of myself as a hero per se, but as I thought about what you were saying, you were really pointing out that when we tell the story of our day, of our lives, of course naturally we are the protagonist of that story. And as, as the hero of our own story, things happen to us. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about this idea of the hero?
3: Well, I'm using the word hero almost interchangeably uh, with the word protagonist. <clears throat> I think what happens for a lot of people, they hear the word hero and they associate it with the word warrior, uh, and that's not what I mean when I use the word hero. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in the ter- in the way I like to talk about it, at the very least, in our own stories, we are the protagonist. We are the central character, and. We- It's through our perceptions, through our way of conducting ourselves that all the action in the story flows. Um, Now, you know, when you think of um, uh, how we talk about stories, let's say, in in literature, um, you realize that, like, when you read a novel, there's the author, there's the person who wrote the novel, um, there's um, the narrator. whose voice is speaking in the novel. And then, even before the novel got to production, uh, there was an editor and a critic and things like that. All that comes to play uh, when we talk about stories. Even though, again, most of us explicitly don't recognize that, that all that work is involved in shaping our stories. Far and away, the most important dynamic is this idea of who is the protagonist and who is the hero. And in most of our stories, what each of us will discover when we reflect on it is at the very least there are two versions of the hero that show up in our stories one i'm going to call the the hero in victory and that is in our stories how do we show up when things are really going our way when we feel strong and alive and we're moving in the direction that we want and we're accomplishing our goals so that version we call the hero in victory. Then there's another version, and we call the one the hero in retreat, and that is who do we become and how do we operate when we're afraid, when we're frustrated, when we believe that we're at risk for being uh, humiliated or shamed. And, and our different flavors of fear show up. That's our hero in retreat, right? You know, and notice that It's hero in victory versus hero in retreat. I don't use the word defeat because defeat is actually by itself its own separate kind of story. Um, And I would say that as individuals we only are in, we are only defeated when we tell ourselves a believable story that. That it is. I love, for example, when you watch different kinds of contests and competitions, and the reporters are uh, talking. Let's say to the, the losing athletics team, and and the athlete will say, "You know, we didn't lose. We just ran out of time, right?" Because that's showing somebody who knows how to live in a story um, that keeps their best self available to themselves. So we have to watch what stories we tell ourselves, what stories we tell other people, and realize that who you are in retreat is simply what you've learned from experience about what to do when you're at risk for having your goals thwarted. We all have what we call our adaptive or defensive routines, things that we do when we feel we're at risk. And I would also offer as part of that that when any one of us would, take a look at where some of our greatest capabilities and strengths, how we uh, develop those strengths, we'll find that they're manifestations of our hero in retreat. It, it, it's the skills that we learned to how to, on how to deal with, with disappointment and uh, not achieving our goals as much as it does with the skills that we learn from our hero in victory. Is, is that helpful?
2: I think it is. I mean, one thing that really stands out for me is that we are both heroes. We are both hero in victory. In other words, our, our best self feeling most confident, you know, that way that we are when our day is going well and we show up exactly the way we intended and um, get great feedback about that. You know, that might be a way of thinking about the hero in victory. Um, and we are also the hero in retreat. Um, that, that, Time that we are vulnerable, uh, fearful, anxious, perhaps self doubting um, and and uh, f- feeling very vulnerable in the moment that we 're in, and I have used this concept of hero and victory, hero and retreat with my coaching clients since uh, you taught it to us long ago, and I have found that it 's an extremely helpful framework for people to recognize that they are both. You know, this invincible, you know, fabulous version of themselves, the hero in victory, and they also really are um, this other hero, the hero in retreat, being able to hold the idea that you can be both, that you can be both very successful, um, as you intended to be. I'll keep using that idea. Um, But you also can be very vulnerable. It doesn't mean that you are one or the other, you really are both. Does that ring true?
3: Yeah, I mean, to, to use the expression, you know, we are a host of multitudes. Um, in fact even in our internal conversations uh... in our own minds we are speaking with many different voices because you know we all live many different variations uh, of ourself you know it, it's kind of unrealistic bordering on naivety, to think that hundred percent of the time we will if things will go our way that we will achieve our goals that everybody we meet will like us um, that will never experience a moment of sadness or unhappiness. So, you know, I, I like to play with language. I get a lot of uh... fulfillment out of that, and and so on this idea, I, I like to say retreat is inevitable. It's inevitable that we are going to meet situations that thwart us, right? But defeat is optional, right? That meaning that you're only defeated if you think you are, but to what you were saying about vulnerability but sometimes the best option we have is this idea of surrender surrender is not the same as defeat so it's you know retreat is inevitable defeat is optional and terms of surrender uh, are negotiable um, you know and i encourage uh my my clients uh you know to make very fine distinctions sometimes with, with how they use language to describe their experience and therefore what kind of stories they come up with so i also distinguish between Errors, mistakes, and failures, right? Um, Errors is when I didn't get what I want, right? Now I have to figure out what was the relationship between the result and the intent. Mistakes are I didn't get what I want, and I could have gotten what I want, but I didn't actually apply what I already knew, so I made a mistake. Um, And failures is a judgment about my mistakes and errors. But it's not inevitable, um that we have to interpret our, our mistakes and our errors as failures. That, even if somebody wants to put a red F, you know, and grade us, uh, on our mm-hmm. performance, we, that, that still, the idea of interpreting it as a failure, um is, is personal. You know, when, I Thomas love that. Ed, Yeah. So, you know, when Thomas Edison, um uh... was working on the light bulb and some reporter asked him how it um, felt to have you know so many failed experiments he said i never had a failed experiment i had a thousand lessons
2: fabulous well, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in a few minutes to talk more about how your story is affecting the future you want to create for yourself
0: talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network think of the world 50 years ago
1: Listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm your host, Kate Ebner, and our guest today is Dr. Neil Struhl. We're talking about how your story, the way you look at your past and who you've gotten to be up until now, affects the possibilities you can create for the future. And I want to invite you listeners to email us at visionaryleader at nebocompany.com so that you can share, ask your questions. We'd be glad to take your questions live on the show or share your comments. Neil, when I'm coaching, I pay attention to the story that my client is living in. In other words, I notice how he tells his own story. I might be working with someone whose story is, for example, that her role in life is to be ultra-responsible and to always do an A-plus job. Um, She may believe that her high standards are the reason she succeeded, so far in life, and that's really up to her to ensure that everything goes well. In fact, the story I find really often originates in her childhood and her sense in her family of what she needed to do in order to be successful. So being good, being capable, being uh, responsible, um, doing what's expected, maybe a story that she's successfully, that she's used to succeed up until now, and at this particular time in her leadership or in her management roles, she's discovering that this has pluses and minuses. And I'm wondering, as you, as you listen to me describe this kind of a story, um, how do you think this might serve a leader, this particular story, how might it get in her way? Yeah,
3: so let's start with a, a basic idea about stories and leadership, right? And that is that you will be the most powerful, effective leader to the degree that you're relying on what we call an empowering story and that you will be less effective to the extent that you rely on a disempowering story. And the source of empowerment for each of us has to do uh, with, as far as being the author of the stories, to what degree does the way the story is constructed um, optimize around choice. So, when I hear you talking about your client, I would um, point out the difference between responsibility and service. Responsibility, um, as I use the word, kind of confers on me an obligation, uh, a sense of duty to others, um, but it comes from a place of obligation and not really a point of, of choice. So, how I would listen to that is to think wow uh, i 'm wondering to what degree that is a disempowering story." If I were to hear it as an empowering story, then the person would be talking about the sense of aliveness that they experience when they help others and they are of service to other people. It feels to them that it aligns with this deep sense of purpose that they want for their lives. So that's the the big thing uh, that I take away, that I would be encouraging the person, let's take a look at that. Um, And so any story... In which in the story as the main character as the hero you appear in some way to be trapped held hostage or otherwise victim then by definition those are disempowering stories
2: and a story in which you are disempowered, in which you are a victim, for example. Um, One of the ways I detect that in my clients is I listen for a story in which um, things happen to me. Things are done. To me, Um, I'm not making choices and driving action, so to speak, in my own life, but rather I'm receiving the actions of others, and I'm at somewhat at the mercy of that. Is that what you mean by a a story, a a passive or a victim
3: story, a disempowering story? I, I couldn't have said it better uh you can add to that with an idea from social psychology called locus of control and then we talk about to what degree a person operates from an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control so when i operate with an internal locus of control then i'm operating on the premise um, that when good things happen um it's happened because I had I exercised good judgment um I was applying my skills in an effective manner um and when I um have an external locus of control when good things happen to me uh, what I say is so and so helped me I couldn't have done it myself I was lucky um just happened to be in the right place at the right time So the internal locus of control, you confer upon yourself great agency, great ability to create the outcomes that matter to you. And when you have an external locus of control, you get lucky. So yes, that's exactly what we're talking about.
2: So an empowering story, it has to do with this internal locus of control, whereby you're actually allowing yourself to take credit for what's happening.
3: Yeah. I mean, if you go through your life and keep coming up with stories um, that, uh, there there are a couple of exceptions to every general principle we follow, but as a general rule, um, if you um, keep... giving away authorship of your stories to external agencies, you are not holding the pen, if you will, then it's we're going to be very hard for you to intentionally be a visionary and create the future you want. Uh, you're saying, in essence, when I get what I want, it's an accident. It's hard to be intentional. Yeah, that's not powerful, is it? It's not powerful. Um, and, and and that is... Um, unfortunately when, when we talk about stories and we talk about up until now uh... one of the ways that people uh... reveal their victimization is they believe in, in terms of how they use language that they are held hostage by their past that some condition um in their past dictates what will happen to them the future and really another way to find the power is to actually formulate the question Who do I have to be? What do I have to do differently to separate myself from my past? And take responsibility for that. Take the the, the accountability, the ownership, the authorship for moving your life in a new direction.
2: I love that. Can you say that again, that who do I have to be question?
3: Right. It, it's a way of reformulating or reframing or reformulating questions that take back the power, take back the sense of agent. So let's suppose that for whatever the reason are, that you have some part of your life... Um, that you held hostage by, whether it was an illness, a relationship, a a tough childhood, some trauma, whatever it is. Then you change the question, which is, who do I have to become? What do I have to do to create distance, to create separation from myself and that period or that event in my life? But you need to be the one to take responsibility for creating that distance, that separation.
2: So you really can have, you know? I want to say, you can have lived that past, have lived that story, but you can also say, hey, I'm going to separate, I'm going to distance myself from that, and I'm going to do things differently, I'm going to change my story.
3: Right, and that's where choice <clears throat> comes into, and authorship come into all this. See, I would say <laughs> that in, in terms of this idea of up until now, um, basically what you want to be able to do is say... I am um, basically kind of putting a coda, a chapter heading on this part of my life. This has happened in my life up until now. And from this point forward, I want my life going in a different direction. So when you do that, you're changing your relationship to your authorship. You're changing your relationship to choice. And ultimately, um, what you will have to do is change your relationship to time. Right. The thing that I think that's very hard for many of us to see so clearly is to what extent we do allow ourselves to be held hostage by the past. Right. And we have to figure out, it's on us to figure out, to change my relationship with time so that I shift from being past-oriented to become future-oriented.
2: I often say to my clients when we're starting out in a coaching engagement, you know, in coaching, we're going to visit the past so that we can understand each other and so that i can understand your story up until now but we're going to focus on the future you really want and how to create action in the present that will move you there
3: couldn't i couldn't i couldn't say it better
2: and that's the shift we're really talking about isn't it the we honor the past we recognize the past we don't try to um evaporate the past it, it happened it's our story It has wonderful elements to it we certainly have learned so much from our own our own history yet it doesn't have to determine what happens next
3: for us yes it doesn't have to determine it and and i get concerned that there are two versions where people um inadvertently allow themselves to be held hostage by the past uh... one is where you've had an, you know unhappy perhaps even traumatic past uh, there's something about you, you know your psychological apparatus in the moment where you keep returning to the past and almost reliving the horror. At the extreme end of that, that's what PTSD is, post-traumatic stress disorder. The person has actually, uh, they neurologically they've almost become rewired in such a way that they keep reliving as a mem- they keep bringing their memories into the present tense, right? That's the extreme version, and so you know a therapist would have to treat the person by trying to unhook them from their past, if that's possible. But there's another equally um, uh, past version, which also can be a trap, and that is nostalgia, right? Uh, where we remember our past, whether it's a former relationship or, um, you, know, you know, we were the you know, head cheerleader or the captain of the football team or something like that. And then the past always looks better than the present and the future, and we keep looking backwards that way. Um, to the extent that you look backwards, there's less of your emotional bandwidth to create the future. Um, so I want to encourage my people who are my clients to, to, to not fall into that trap either.
2: That's a a great point, the point about nostalgia actually keeping us hooked into the past. And I'll tell you a story. I once worked with a client who was leaving his profession after a very distinguished, very high-profile career in finance, and he'd achieved enormous, very public success, but he was deeply disillusioned. This was after September 11th, and he was seeking to write a whole new chapter for his life and for his career, and he was so eager to move on. And as we worked together, um, as eager as he was to move on, there was so much about the career he had just left that was unresolved for him. We ended up needing to spend far longer than I expected um, reflecting upon and sort of processing the history, the up until now story, so that he then really could, you know, push off yeah. from the shores of the past, if you will, and move into the future. And so I just want to mention that sometimes uh, we need, you know, th- that telling our story and understanding who we've become and where we are right now is its own step in the process. And it's now time for us to take a short break and we'll be right back to talk more about how you can shift your story. <laughs>
0: Tune in to Tom Says for practical solutions that you can use in your life. Whether it's information you can use for business, spiritual awareness, health, or personal issues, you'll want to listen to this life-changing program hosted by Tom Gerbic. Tom will also invite you to participate by calling in or sending emails. There's no topic that's taboo. With Tom's life experiences, you'll find that a weekly visit can be truly inspiring. Tom Says can be heard on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. With a weekly rebroadcast on the Voice America Business Channel. Did you know that the number one concern of American business is the ability to attract and retain qualified workers? Yet millions of qualified American workers with disabilities are sitting on the sidelines. Disabilities at Work Radio focuses on businesses and their workforce needs and also offers other topics of interest to people with disabilities, their families, and supporters. Join Disabilities at Work Radio every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's one eight six six four seven two fifty seven ninety if you'd rather send an email please send it to visionary leader at Nebocompany.com. dot com now back to today's program
2: what is the story you've been telling yourself about your life up until now whether you realize it or not the way you think about and tell your own life story is having an enormous impact on your future possibilities today our guest is dr Neil Struhl, who's helping us explore how you can Understand your past and yet use it as a catalyst for the success you want today and in the future. Um, he's just pointed out to us the hook that sometimes nostalgia for the past can be preventing us from actually moving into the future we want. And I want to, I want to start off, uh, this, this part of our conversation, Neil, with just a, a discussion about what you call our stories of origin or the er story of our lives. Could you tell us a little bit about these stories of origin and h- how they affect what we believe about who we are.
3: Right. Uh, let me uh, begin with a, with a little bit of, of a, a, an illustration. Um, and you don't have to answer my rhetorical question. Um, when you woke up this morning, what was the first thing you noticed? Right. Now, most people will say um, you know, that they kind of noticed something about their surroundings. Uh, but what's less obvious to all of us is the first thing that we notice is that I am the me that went to bed in this place last night right? It's the story of ourself, the story of identity. Um, It's almost like when we we awaken from sleep, it's like a computer rebooting. Um, And so all that other information that um, uh, contributes to our sense of self or identity, it's always available to us. Um, Now, the thing is, a lot of the details are not uh, available to us. It's this general sense of self. And so, what do you know about it? Um, and so, you have a sense of self. It's being most of it, it's being done, it's, it's being its most creative um, and uh, formulate, being formulated during adolescence, right? That's why, for people who might be familiar with uh, the, psycho- the developmental psychology of Eric Erickson, uh, we call uh adolescence, the identity stage. That's when you're putting together all these different things that you've learned up until this point. You're on the cusp of adulthood. You have your education, uh if you were raised in a strong faith, um if you were raised in a community, maybe some of your civic values. All of that is together and now you're cutting and pasting and trying to reconcile some of the contradictions. Um and that's your sense of self. But when we narrate the story, we don't say, "Well, I learned this," or "I believe this," or "I think that." No, when we when we tell the story, what we'll end up telling is episodes, action. We we narrate it with with the events. Um, if we become really good listeners of stories, um, we will also then discover is that what people tell and how they tell it will reveal to us something about what we call their body of distinctions, which reveals how they think, um, what they value, what matters to them. Um, it's their worldview. The, the the German expression is their Weltanschauung. Um, but peop, there, there, it's no accident. Um, there's a system, there's a coherence behind which stories people tell, how they tell it, and particularly the story of their life. So, one activity that any one of us could do to kind of learn about ourselves is simply um, kind of jour- take a several journal pages and say, "Look, write out the story of your life. Write it out. You know, what's that earliest recollection that that you have? And then from there, start spinning it forward. And what are the significant things that you remember um, that shape your sense of self, who you believe you are? Um, and you'll find that there are certain things that you will tell only in a journal." There are certain things you will only tell really close, trusting friends who you feel like you can be vulnerable, and then there are certain episodes from your life uh, that you believe are socially acceptable or socially safe to reveal, and then you get to ask yourself, wow, so what's going on for me such that these are the three versions? Why am I editing it the way I am? All that is part of the story of yourself, your earth story, and you can learn about it, and then you later get to ask a question like Dr. Phil might, which is, so... How's it working for you? And some of us are going to discover when we realize that we're attached to a story that's no longer working really well for us, and it's time to reinvent or reframe the story and update it to our current version of ourselves that's more aligned with the self that we either are or want to be.
2: Very powerful stuff. I love this exercise of taking the three pages and writing the three stories. And those three stories, again, are... The story is you tell it to your your close friend.
3: Right. Uh, the story that you that you just it's the truth is you know it, so you're assuming that it will never fall into anybody's hands. You're the only one these pages, you're the only one who will ever see it. So you can tell yourself all the dim, harsh, embarrassing, shameful episodes of your life. You don't leave anything out. You don't edit it at all. Right? It's the that's your, unadulterated that's your, truth. Okay. That's story number one. Got then, is my story number two? Is the story that you would share when you felt safe enough to be vulnerable with a human being, right? A lot, of, a lot of people will do this on talking to a stranger in the next seat on an airplane.
2: Ah, so the story you tell in a public way that uh, that, that makes sense of your life to someone you're meeting, who's receiving your story and uh, learning about you in a sort of a uh, in a quick way.
3: Right. Right, but, but, but also the one where you're, you, you're, you, you don't feel a very strong need to be self-protective. Okay. Right? okay. And then the third story is like, well, let's suppose you met somebody at a party and you were just kind of learning, getting to know each other, and this is sort of like the socially acceptable version of me, the one for public uh-huh. consumption, the one that we write up in our bios that we publish.
2: Yeah, and there may even be a fourth story, which um, we often call our elevator speech, which has mostly to do with our career, but it could also be a cocktail party version, just a really short, here's who I am and here's what I do kind of story. So I get the point. So there there are many ways we can tell our stories, and the exercise is really to uh, take the time to write down these important stories and then to actually look at how you're constructing them.
3: Right, because then you will discover not only who you are as an author – but you will also discover who you are as an editor, right? It's, in other words, the fact that you think a particular episode is socially acceptable and another episode is not something for public consumption, tells something about what matters to you. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that and that really, in it, for me, in in the language of development, is the most critical question that we could ask ourselves: is what really matters to me? Because if I can develop myself, if I can develop my story that aligns well and is a reflective of my deepest cherished values and my own personal sense of aliveness, then I think what most of us will feel is this sense of contentment, this sense of fulfillment with the life we're living. The more we deviate from what really matters to us, either in terms of aliveness or sacred values, the less that will be true.
2: I often find myself saying to people who I work with, who is the audience for your life? I find that people, many people have a sense that there's someone watching and there's someone who is receiving, um, the story of their lives with its successes and failures and for whom they need to shape their choices. Yeah. And I think this idea that actually you are the audience for your life, right. right? Your own true story is the story that will be told and that needs to be told. And if we can release ourselves from trying to tell the story we think everybody wants us to tell and actually let the story be the true story of who we are and what brings, gives us that aliveness, we can be liberated from um, trying to sort of manage The way we appear in the world
3: right yeah so in 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 psychology there's an idea called a persona uh and your persona is the version of yourself that you fabricated for public consumption it's not your authentic self it's not your true self but it's a role that you play because you believe at some level that your real self is 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 not um okay for uh to to bring out in public and most of us will do that we we have a persona we have Different parts we play for different audiences, or at least our belief about who those audiences are. Um, You know, certainly there are people out there who are their authentic selves 24-7. But I would say that um, I think they, in in, in American culture, they're the exception, not the rule.
2: Right, and we hear so much about authentic leadership, you know, be your authentic self as a leader. And what I'm really hearing you say today is that it takes courage to do that and to be the truest version of your story in a day-to-day way.
3: Right. You know, a popular uh, piece of language now is this idea of follow your own North Star. Um, And I I actually subscribe to it. Uh, The issue is how many of us are really clear on what our North Star is or where it is? I think a lot of the work we're talking about has to do with uh, a kind of, not introspection so much as reflection uh, on really finding out what matters. Uh, You know, I often say clarity will set you free. Clarity is liberating.
2: Beautiful. And I wonder if you could bring this to life for us by telling a story from your own work about someone who has been able to actually shift their story and create the future they really wanted.
3: Uh, so I, I, it's kind of on the spot here for me to come up with uh, you know one one client, um, but uh, uh, I can tell you a story of a, of a, of a client of mine who um, was very frustrated um, by um, his uh, belief uh, that his his career was not going uh, to continue uh, on a vertical path that he he'd risen as high in the organization as he could possibly go. Um, And, again, there was sort of like external evidence that would uh, validate his particular version of reality having to do, you know, with with different conditions that might allow him to be, let's say, uh, let us say, discriminated against. Um, But the biggest one was that the leap from his current position to the next level was this idea that um, uh, people at the next level have to be strategic and I'm tactical. Right? And in fact, he was brilliant operationally. I mean, um, in every role that he uh, assumed, in terms of whatever the deliverable was, he far exceeded everybody's expectations. And so he developed a brand, a reputation for being a phenomenal doer, but not a phenomenal thinker, not a phenomenal, not all strategist. However, what I knew from my conversations with him is in fact that the story was distorted because we could have a conversation about the strategic direction of his business unit. And it was very to to my way of thinking, a very strategic view on the future of the business. Um, So by kind of probing what was going on, what we figured out was if he wasn't being strategic, uh, if he wasn't being perceived as being strategic, it's because when he talked to senior executives, he continually focused on what he was doing rather than why he was doing it. Got um, it. When so,
2: we, Neil, when we come back from the break, we're going to have you tell us how he shifted this. Okay. We'll be right back.
3: Uh, two, one.
0: up-to-date business and financial news call now and get the financial information you need 866-472-5790 866-472-5790 the experts are here voice america business network are you ready to go green you've asked and we've heard you voice america presents the green talk network The business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network
1: you're listening to visionary leader extraordinary life with host kate emner we'd love to hear from you pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program.
2: This is your host, Kate Ebner. You want to be visionary, you want to create a future that's exactly what you dream of, but you're stuck. Today, we're looking at the way your story, the way you, you tell your story up until now, may be affecting the possibilities you create for the future. Our guest is Dr. Neil Struhl, and he's telling us about a shift one of his clients made from one way of seeing things to another. Welcome back, Neil.
3: Right. So where we left off was he knew um, that he, he actually wanted to get to the next level up in his organization, but that the story others had about him would prevent him from doing that. Well... There was no way for us to know whether in fact that theory of his was correct, but we did come up with a plan uh, around instead of talking about what he was doing when he was engaged with uh, senior level executives in his organization, he would shift what he was talking about into the why he was doing it so he could demonstrate to people uh, his strategic view. So we looked at his calendar, we knew exactly which meetings, who was going to be there, which senior level people, where he might have an opportunity to speak, what he could say that was strategic about that particular uh, topic, and that's what he did. Now. You know, you asked for an example, and this is one of those great examples because uh, a year later he got the promotion that he wanted, Um, and I believe it was because he was able uh, to shift his behavior, and in shifting his behavior, shift the perception of others uh, of him that, in fact, he was strategic, and that's the happy ending to that particular story.
2: And it really seems essential that he paused and got a handle on the story not only the story he had about himself in the organization but also a sense of the story others may have been been holding about him so is that right. awareness really enabled him to make some different choices
3: right it's the relationship between identity and reputation um, and sometimes that's kind of hard to see um, but you know the, the first part was the identity part he had to see himself as strategic And then when he could see himself as strategic, then he could come up with a set of behaviors uh, that would inform the reputation that that, that was, was strategic.
2: Got it. So there's really that relationship between the story I'm telling myself about who I am and the story that the world has about me. Uh, and the, you know, and that I want to bridge back to that point about being authentic, which really, uh, brings those two stories hopefully much closer together and ultimately to one story. Yep. We have a, a question that came in from one of our listeners. And this is something I'm glad this question came. This is a common concern. And, the, and it's really about how do you, how do you let go? of something that might be a prized part of your own personal success story, in other words, something you're really proud of, something that's really made you who you are, um, yet it's critical now to formulate a whole new story to create new success. Um, how How do you both let go of the old story and also allow for that transformation?
3: You know, this is one of those things where, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was this uh, kind of like magic recipe for, for how you do it? Um, and, in fact, you know, that, that, that's not what happens. I, one of my distinctions that I often use in my work is this idea between easy versus simple, right? So there are certain ideas that when we kind of describe what's involved, it's simple uh, to talk about it. But it's not necessarily easy to execute. And my favorite analogy is is baseball. You know, if you when you know the idea is see the ball, hit the ball, right? That's that's a very simple thing to describe. But if you are actually trying to stand there and hit a ball, baseball coming at you at over ninety miles an hour, not so easy. And and that's the same dilemma we have here. Um, The the the, the, um, the the. Basically, what it is it, it, this is from from Bill bridges, though is, is you have to kind of reverse the flow of time, uh, which is we typically we see things with um, beginnings, middles, and ends, um, and you have to and when you 're trying to kind of go through this personal transformation, uh, you have to start uh with the end which is what is that thing that i want to let go of and getting a certain kind of clarity that i am ready to move on uh and then creating a set of almost like rituals and practices uh which is a process rather than event in order to create that space um but it's messy it's it it, 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 it it's a process that has to be worked through um before you can kind of shift from the um the, the past that's been into the future that i embrace but that middle space is is, is a process that we have to go through and it's not it's it very really is ever clean and tidy occasionally we will have one of these epiphanies and we will see so clearly with with such clarity uh that um i must move in this new direction and we feel free and liberated and we can let the past go But in practice, it's usually a much more prolonged process, and that's what I would say about it. But you do have to kind of start with the idea of what it is uh, that I want to let go of and what is that new future in which I want to move into.
2: Thank you for that insight, Neil. That's a wonderful discussion of the question. I have noticed in some of the work I do in preparing people to develop vision that we do need to hear that whole story, that important story up until now, and honor it. And even... Um, acknowledge it and celebrate it you know sometimes in order to really move into the into the future you really want you actually do need to stop and acknowledge the significance of the past and the hardships the lessons all of those things I think your exercise that you proposed earlier about writing down the true story of your life is one of those ways that people can actually um, both capture it and honor it and also maybe free themselves from having that be the defining story
3: Yep, and and there's and there's variations on those kind of activities that we all can do to, to develop, you know, uh, a, a different perspective than the one we've been attached to for so many years.
2: You know, the premise of our show is that listeners can manifest the outcomes they really want using visioning, and that's a process that invites us to picture and articulate a desired future. How do you think creating a future story can help us shift from the old story of the past to the future we really
3: want? Yeah, I think that's one. That's one of the the critical parts to it. The. the, you know visually you you almost sometimes have to kind of see your life as as being on a set of rails right that that's how, that's that's how your you, you you're, you're, your your narrative arc to your story ha- has a kind of momentum to it and so if you don't create this vision of an alternative future then you're kind of stuck on the same set of rails um, so that you are likely to end up in a future that in so many significant respects is going to resemble your past um, and if you want to come up with a a picture of what the future could be, of what would work better for me, I think you have, the, the two most basic questions you have to begin with uh, have this idea uh, around this idea of what matters. Um, and on the one hand, you have to say, what values do, do do I really hold sacred that I would want to adopt as organizing principles for my life? And the second has to do with, when I look at my life as a whole up until now, what have I noticed, What are, you know, about under what conditions, both internal and external, that I have felt the most alive? And what a lot of people discover is when they get very clear on this uh, things that are, about aliveness, they will find that when the conditions that allowed them to feel alive in the past, those kind of conditions aren't, don't exist in their present. And so when they think about what they want in the future, they can simply say, look, how could I bring those conditions that historically have contributed to my sense of aliveness? How do I build them into my future? You know, one that I see so um, frequently is that the younger version of this person had something artistic or expressive in their life, whether it was music or poetry or the visual arts, and then they got caught up in their life um... and you know they had raised a family they had career responsibilities they had you know adult responsibilities like bills and they felt and they told themselves the story i don't have time to pursue these kinds of things um... Mm-hmm. but then so putting take, some of
2: that back in your life
3: putting it and so that's one of the things i think is is in order to create that vision of the future you need to first find out um... under what conditions you know does my life really work for me And then you build the future by how you answer those questions.
2: Neil, you've given us such great perspective here today, and I um, am grateful that you've been on our show and have pointed people to looking into the past to understand how they're making meaning and how that potentially uh, needs to be honored and ultimately shifted so that they can create the future that they really want. It's just been an honor to have you on our show today. And I'd like to invite you all to join us next week to hear innovative business leader Jim Kyles talk about a visionary global campaign called Four Years Go, whose mission is to change the course of human history over the next four years. Jim's going to tell us, why we need to make this change, and how you can get involved in this important vision. Um, I'm here today with Dr. Neil Struhl, and to sign up to receive tips and exercises related to today's show, please go to www.nebocompany.com and sign up for our Visionary Leader newsletter. Thank you all for joining us. Have a great day.
1: We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life.